Welcome to New Chip Accelerate, the podcast for entrepreneurs by the New Chip Accelerator. I am today's host, Jonah Pfeiffer. From investing to building a company culture, this podcast strives to shine a light on the many unknowns that entrepreneurs face on a daily basis. Through talks with key personalities, Accelerate will teach you how to approach your investors, companies, customers, and roles with a fresh perspective. Today's guests are Pearson Gaines, Cynthia Murphy, and Chris Buetti, who all discuss what to consider when growing a business and how to make sure that that business grows well. From product to people, this episode is all about scale. Today's first segment is from Pearson Gaines' keynote talk with New Chip Accelerator Director Armando Vera Carvajal during New Chip's Q4 online demo day, an event that brings together hundreds of professionals, founders, and investors to engage with some incredibly promising startups that have gone through the New Chip Accelerator. Pearson Gaines is transforming the salon experience for women with highly textured hair. She is the founder and CEO of Pressed Roots, a national chain of salons with highly skilled, highly trained stylists who know what textured hair needs to keep it healthy and make it gorgeous. Pearson speaks directly to the experience of women of color, providing a salon that respects their time and gives them not just great hair, but a pampered elite salon experience replicable no matter where they travel. Pop-up salons sold out in major cities across the country before she opened her flagship location in March of 2020, which has maxed out capacity every weekend they've been open during the 2020 COVID-19 pandemic. Hello and welcome to the YouTube Accelerator Q4 Online Demo Day Global Startup Conference. My name is Armando Vera Carvajal and I'm the Accelerator Director here at YouTube. It's such an honor and pleasure to introduce a very special guest today who brings a powerful story and much needed perspective to entrepreneurship. So please give a big welcome to Pearson Gaines, founder and CEO of Pressed Roots. Connect with Gaines on LinkedIn. I highly encourage it. She's a fantastic individual to learn more about her plans to revolutionize hair care uh, for women of color through Pressed Roots. Um, Pearson, once again, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for the really kind introduction. Oh, absolutely. I I wanted to ask you, uh, two years is a lot of time to invest in the testing and validation of an emerging concept, right? What was that process like for you? Like, setting it up from, setting up those pop-up shops, what kind of involvement and commitment did it require from you? And I I imagine you were also working at the same time and going to school, or what was that like? Yeah. So I was at the beginning, I was going to school and then, so I was living in Boston. And so that's where the first ones I was in school. So the first pop-ups were in Boston. Um, We, a lot in the salon industry, a lot of salons are closed on Sundays and Mondays. And so I needed, what I found out really early on was to do a pop-up shop. We needed salon space just because we needed to use the shampoo bowls um, and just logistically it's a lot easier there's already you know chairs already there mirrors already there just the infrastructure for a salon you know and so we i would rent out salon space on on sundays because a lot of salons are closed that on those days and um turn it into press roots for the day and i would um i had a stylist that i met while i was in boston who was really amazing i had her create a training video and that's the video that we use to train all of our stylists in Boston um, 
when we went to Atlanta, we trained all the stylists in Atlanta on that same video. And then it wasn't until Dallas where we started developing the actual like training program. So, um, but back to Boston, the first pop-ups that we set up, um, we had the stylists um, set up that do that training video um, that trained all the stylists, um, got them on the same accord, the same page of how, um, how the salon was going to run. Um, how, you know, what our expectations were about what our customer promise was in terms of like how fast we need to get people in and out, what, how we want people to be treated, you know, the experience that we wanted to create, all of that. Just got people on the same page with that. Um, you know, chose a product line that was really, um, that really aligned with our, our customers and the feedback that I had received about the perfect products that people, that people like. Um, and what works the best with the style that we're trying to create, the blowout. And, um, you know, we did a, a few, um, we implemented a few things to make it press roots that are like a little proprietary in terms of our, the way we, um, we set up the booking and like the way people, deter- we determine um, the process, all of that stuff. And, um, and then, yeah. And everything about each of those pop-ups was a little bit different. We, we tested everything about the model throughout each pop-up. We tested the pricing. We tested how we paid the stylist. We tested um, different aspects of the experience, the products that we use. We literally tested everything about the model, how we book people, you know, how long, um, how much time between each appointment do we book? You know, what, what makes the most sense operationally? How can we get the most money? Um, you know, everything, how we market it, literally every single pop-up was like a test experiment to figure out what was the best model, which is another thing that investors really liked because by the time, not only had we proven that this concept was a need and that, you know, people would pay for it and that there was a, a high, um, just a high demand for it, but also that we've been testing everything about the business model. So literally all we needed was a salon, a space, um, and we'd be making money. That, I mean, that's incredible. And I think what really resonates from what you've just said is that there was a lot of testing, 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 testing. And I think that's so critical uh, because before you, you go big, before you start to like push it out there into the mainstream, you have to apply that rigorous and iterative process of actually testing and validating to see how does this work? And if it works, how can we optimize it and make it the best possible experience so that by the time that investors are essentially handed off the, the opportunity, they're like, I'm in, right? No ifs, no buts, but it's like, wow, that is, I'm in, I'm good to go. Um, tell me a little bit more about some of the, the business model assumptions that you had to make in order to convince investors that this could be like a 10x opportunity over the next few years. So it was, the, it was, the main thing is the rate, the pace that we're growing, you know, that's really what it is. So we want to be at 50 locations, um, in less than 10 years. Right. And I think what I gather from this is that you're building a brand, right? You're not just building a product, which I would imagine in, in this industry, just the broader industry, a lot of people offer services but not actual brand, right? They choose that brand because there's trust, there's equity that's built there. Um, and you've done this in a relatively period, short period of time. Um, your, your vision is big, right? Turning this into 50 locations within the next decade, um, which is 
it seems like a lot of time, but the years fly by very fast. And you know, the time and commitment that you have to open those locations in that period of time is, is a lot. What has been your sort of thought process and, and vision in building the Press Roots brand from the beginning? The, so our mission is to make quality hair care easy and accessible for all women to achieve. And so in order to do that, we need to be um, in every major city across the country. Um, you know, right now we are doing that for Dallas, but you don't know how many messages, calls we get. When are you coming to this city? When are you coming to Oakland? When are you coming to Detroit? When are you coming to New York? We need you. We need you. You know, this is a need. Um, and so, yeah, so that, that has always been the vision. We want, we, it, it's always been the vision to be throughout the country globally, to be honest with you, because textured hair is not just in this country. It's actually more outside of this country. So um, yeah, we want to be more than just, um, you know, we want to be that go-to place when it comes to textured hair care, um, from the education to the products that, to the products, to um, really everything. It's a lifestyle brand. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that says it perfectly. It's a lifestyle brand. I think some of the most iconic lifestyle brands have been able to do that to, to achieve their success and their brand equity through the experience, how they make people feel, how they identify with it. And I think you're definitely headed in that direction. Um, I mentioned earlier when I was introducing you that, you know, Press Roots has throughout the pandemic this year has done rather well. How did you feel when the pandemic hit and introduced the new normal? Um, how have you adopted, adapted the, camp, the company through, through this historical period of, of transformation worldwide? Yeah, it was scary. It was scary for any business. No one knows what, no, the, the scariest part was you just don't know. No one knows anything about this, right? We don't know how long, like we had, a, we opened our business and we had to shut down two days later. So we didn't know if it was going to be a week, two weeks, a year. We, we No one knew anything. We didn't know, you know, especially for our industry where you're, you're touching people, you're touching someone, you are the very core of our business is, touch. you know, yeah. touch. So, uh, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but ultimately, um, when we were able to reopen, we're in Texas and we were able, the, t the state allowed salons to open up May 8th and we decided to open up on May 16th. And um, when we decided to do it, of course, we we did it by all, you know, we made it as safe as possible for people. You know, we were in the mask, we're social distancing, we are um, sanitizing and disinfecting and cleaning every surface that people are touching, washing our hands like crazy, um, taking each other, taking our stylist temperatures, taking our customers temperatures, um, really making it as safe as possible. Thankfully, nobody, none of our clients um, that we know of have had any cases and none of our staff has had any has had a case of covid um so i think we're doing a great job um but i think um what this has shown me is that you know there are salons all over dallas that have been closing um even since reopening um including a lot of blow dry bars but we've been doing really well a lot of um you know we're at max capacity if we whenever we open up a new like if a, if i get a stylist that says hey i can work on saturday 
within the, as soon as I put them on the schedule, they're booked up for the entire day. Um, we are literally at max capacity. We're booked up. Like someone called today and said, am I reading the website, right? Are you, your first appointment isn't until next Tuesday. That's correct. You know, like we are booked out over at least a week in advance every single week. Um, and it just tells you, it just shows you that, you know, this is a need. And so um, a lot of people felt that for, I mean, it's at, for the, at least for this demographic with highly textured hair, it's not a, um, it's not a luxury. Yeah. It's not something that people want to do. It's an essential, essential service for, for this demographic. And so, um, so that's what I think, which we're getting ready to raise money again. And I think this, time period has really shown even more so than the pop-ups could have ever shown um, how much of a critical need this business is. Right. Right. No. And, and it just excites me when I hear that those kind of stats, you know, like we're just fully booked up in advance during COVID-19. I mean, we've had being at the accelerator, have the chance to see a wide spectrum of, you know, instances and outcomes for startups. Some of them had to close. Some of them had to pivot entirely into a different business model, but yours like has thrived. And I think that speaks truly to what you're building. Um, but more fundamentally, something that I love to remind entrepreneurs in and out of the accelerator is that when you're building something, you need to make sure that it addresses a real problem or a real need because that allows you to build on a very strong foundation from the start. And I think you are a testament to that. And, and so is Pressed Roots. Um, and I'm excited to see how this progresses through the race. Lastly, we have an excerpt from our most recent demo week, held last week from November 16th to November 20th. New Chip Venture Fellow Clayton Ports was joined by Chris Buetti, the co-founder and CEO of Digital Presence, and Cynthia Murphy, the co-founder of Assuage, for this panel, Startup Team Culture, Bringing Teams Together. Chris Buetti is the co-founder and CEO of Digital Presence, a software platform that solves problems related to influencer marketing. Prior to starting Digital Presence, Chris has gained incredible experience as a software engineer at NBC and the NBA. Cynthia Murphy is a co-founder of Assuaged alongside her husband, Thane. She is a craniofacial disability activist, health and wellness activist, and a fashion model. Cynthia has overcome many chronic health conditions caused by Treacher-Collins syndrome, a genetic birth defect that affects the bones, muscles, and soft tissues. She holds a master's degree in public health, and she is currently pursuing her doctorate's degree in business administration. Here's the panel. My name is Clayton Ports. I am a startup advisor and venture fellow here at New Chip. I am joined by Chris Buetti and Cynthia Murphy, um, and we will be discussing uh, sort of some of the ideas around company culture today, especially especially with you know early stage startups. So let's uh, let's jump into the questions here. Um, you know, the first one is going to be pretty broad, um, so I, I want to hear sort of your take on what it, what is your understanding of uh, of team culture, how would you, how would you describe it? And, and what is sort of the culture of your business right now? Um, Chris, why don't we start with you? Yeah. Team culture is something that, uh, was, was important to me, especially when I started my own company, uh, when I was working at the NBA, uh, I'm a really big basketball fan and I thought that would be a dream job for me, but, uh, it was very, very stereotypically corporate and, and vanilla. And I, I didn't want that for me. So, um, company culture to me is, is 
the atmosphere in, in which you're enjoying your work and you're enjoying your teammates, um, trying to keep things all on the same playing field, keeping things level, which we do think we do, you know, a good job of. Um, it's it's the idea that uh, you're cognizant of your hierarchy, um, the the you know how strict people are going to be about things, how you know how much you can actually enjoy doing your work. So um, it's something that you know was really important when I when I went ahead and started Digital Presence. Yeah, that's that, that's that's really good to hear, and it's interesting to hear how. Um... You know, and, and we'll actually get into this a bit later, but how there's sort of a difference between the the big company culture, like you know, the MBA, I would imagine is a is a pretty large organization, how it might how it might change when you when you get into these smaller companies. And we're gonna get into sort of the reverse of that um here in a little bit. But yeah, thank you for that, Chris. Cynthia, did yeah, you have please. any thoughts on that? Uh yeah. So um team culture is really important when it comes to uh, you know, treating each other equally and, you know, people just want to be treated like they're human. And, you know, there's other corporations that I have worked for, um, you know, before becoming a founder of Assuaged. And I just didn't feel like I was completely treated 100% uh, nicely, you would say. So we built our culture with like-minded people. Um, everyone just gets along and there's ethics behind everything that we do as well. We, we always seek to um, work together proactively in a way that um, is accepting and loving of everyone. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear because especially with the you know um, I guess we didn't introduce your what I like to call your army of interns. Um, <laughs> Cynthia Cynthia has what over eighty interns. Yeah, with, right. About eighty five. Eighty five, yeah, which is which is incredible, especially to to hold a uh, hold a culture of you know caring and compassion um, for for everyone within the company at at that sort of level. And I'm and I'm curious, Cynthia, maybe you could start with this question. Um, you know, when you're making a new hire or even uh, when you're taking on an investor or an advisor, um, what are sort of some of the the standards or actions that that you implement? Is there anything unique maybe you do to to test the culture or the character of this new hire or this new investor you're speaking with or the, the new advisor you're considering bringing on? Yeah, great question. So uh, there's a process and social media is one of my go to solutions uh, it really allows you to vet and verify that these are people and they're, you know, liked by other people and they have some kind of background that's credible on LinkedIn. Uh, you can also see their volunteer work sometimes on Facebook. So it allows you to see more of the personality of the people that you could put, be bringing on. So that's kind of what I do in terms of the vetting process. Chris, uh, I'm curious. Do you have any um, any tactics you use uh, to sort of test the culture and character of any new any new hires, investors, advisors that you might bring on? Yeah, I guess for me it would be um, it would be different depending on uh, how frequently I think I'll be conversing with them. Um, you know, if it's someone I'm you know talking to every single day, multiple times a day, um, I'm going to have a different standard for. Uh, for how that person interacts, you know, as opposed to an investor who I might hear from once a month or something like that. Um, so for me, it, the first gauge is, you know, how often will 
will I work with them. If it's free, if it's very, very frequently, um, I will pick someone I get along with, um, who, you know, I feel like I can work with well over talents and over knowledge. Um, you know, and my co-founder, one of my co-founders and I, um, we work together every minute of every day, um, and have for the last six to eight months. And I've never met him in person before. Um, so, you know, it's, it's someone that I, I feel like I could consider like a best friend of mine. And yet I've never seen him face to face. I actually have no idea how tall he is. Yeah, that's, that's some really good points. And and I think uh, one thing to take away from that, you know, you said you would, you would hire somebody that you believe you could work best with and, and, you know, skills and, and knowledge are important, but they're not the most important. And I, I think something to take away from that is you can teach skills and knowledge. You can't particularly teach character and culture. You know, the, uh, you know, as, as you both know, you, you get to a, um, you know, as, as the company grows, um, you know, you get to these large corporations and the culture all of, all of a sudden becomes different. Um, how do you plan on preserving sort of the culture around your company as you grow? You know, you become a, a unicorn with two or 300 employees. Um, how do you plan on preserving that culture? And, you know, does it, does it mean the boss walking around with uh, handing out tequila shots like, it, <laughs> like Cynthia mentioned? Um, yeah, Cynthia, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Um, you know, that's one thing that I've been really cautious about is I've been staying under 90 because um, that's what I could handle. And I need to find someone. Ultimately, my goal is to find someone that could do the recruitment process that I am doing in a way that will sustain and preserve uh, how we are operating now. And right now, what we're doing is also better organizing, getting our internal operations organized and people buddied up. And so that way we have a consistent workflow and, and we're organized, but, you know, it's really important to not um, go in excess and go over what you can handle. So I've been very mindful of that as we continue to grow. Um, a lot of our students are for academic credit. So we've gotten a lot of uh, universities that send us students that need 200 hours here. We just got a student that needs 380 hours. We got a student that needs 500 hours. So that's a lot um, of, of work that they need to do. And not they're not always going to stay because they just they did that to get their credit. They had a great experience, but now they're ready to go out there and get a job. And and so that's OK, too. So we have a flow of interns that finish their uh, hours and then I'm buried in paperwork. <laughs> I need to find someone to help me with the paperwork because it's a lot. Yeah. So but it's what it's a form of capital when you have uh, not all of these interns helping you build your brand, uh, but also providing incentives to them where they can learn um you know, how to work in operations of a startup. So we also provide educational certifications through the HubSpot and through the LinkedIn. So they get these certifications and they bucket them under their LinkedIn profile. So that's very valuable. That does cost us money, but it also costs us money to sustain the HubSpot for the website and all that anyways. So why not utilize the academy that they give you 
and utilize that they allow you to add an unlimited amount of people right. on there to access the academy. And then, you know, once you have a student leave, you could leave it open for like 30 days, um, just, you know, as a, a token of appreciation in the time that they served. And then, you know, deactivate and some students return even. We've had a couple, like a handful of people come back. So, yeah, it's really exciting. I'm excited to share this too. So, of course, yeah, that's that, that's interesting too, and and kind of a unique approach because you know training can get very expensive and time consuming. Um, you know, if you try to tackle it all at once on your own, um, and you know, we we do advocate that uh, you know the CEO should be involved in training in some way. Um, but if you can use some of these some of these third party tools, like like you mentioned, you could you could knock out and, and give your employees a lot of really useful skills. Um, you know, at a, at a fairly minimum investment. Chris, uh, do you have any thoughts on how you plan to sort of preserve and, and grow the culture as, as the company grows? Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's a good question. And if, uh, if, if I'm fortunate enough to have, um, you know, my, my company grow that big that I, I really have to think about that. Um, you know, I, I'm going to do things like remember this conversation we're having today and remember the things I didn't like um, about my previous jobs and things yeah. I, I did like when I had my own little thing. And um, I think what's important is um, talking to your employees, talking to your teammates and, and really figuring out what they like and what they don't like and trying to make it, um, you know, more enjoyable for them. Because at the end of the day, their success is your success. Um, so, you know, one thing I, I know everyone in my company likes is the fact that um, we don't have to dress up ever. Um, you know, we can wear black t-shirts and sweats whenever we want. And that's something, uh, you know, I, I plan to take, I don't know, you know, if my company grows to millions of employees, I will never, ever implement a, any sort of dress code. I I will uh, take that to, to my grave. So um it's really um, taking advantage of, of understanding why you're enjoying what you're doing right now and kind of making that, um, making sure you keep those roots because, you know, that's what made you want to do this. That's what made you enjoy doing what you're doing. So um, you, you can't switch that or else people are going to feel the same way you did um, when you weren't happy. So um, it's really understanding what makes me happy now, um, writing that out, whether literally or, or figuratively. and and sticking true to those principles um, as you grow and get bigger. Thank you for tuning into this episode of New Chip Accelerate. If you are interested in learning more about how New Chip enables startup founders to build their business, meet other CEOs, and raise their rounds, all while retaining 100% ownership of their companies, check us out at newchip.com. We will see you soon with the next episode of New Chip Accelerate.